Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Hopefully I've greeted you as you came in. Uh, welcome to spring, right? <laughs> uh, with a snowstorm. Well, that's pretty unusual, but uh, it'll probably melt this week and we'll get back to normal spring weather. We're in a series, meaning we take, pick, pick a topic, talk about it for several weeks. And uh, this is week three of three, about inside out way of Jesus. And today's topic is emptied to be filled. And the whole idea of this series has been... Uh, our focus normally and naturally is to be focused on the outside. You got this morning, what did you focus on? You, know, you took a shower, uh, put on your makeup, ladies I guess, uh, uh, put on nice clothes, uh, you want to look, look good if you go out in public, right? It's natural, normal, it's good. But in the spiritual realm, Jesus is teaching us the focus needs to be on the inside and what from the inside comes out. So we've, we said it this way. <clears throat> Faith is an inside-out job. And back in Jesus' day, so much of the religion was outside. And even today, much religion is on the outside. And so it's an easy tendency for all of us to focus on what's on the outside and not what's on the inside. <clears throat> so week one, we talked about brokenness. We said God doesn't work around our brokenness, handicap that he has to work around, but he works through it. In fact, he can make something more beautiful out of what is broken. We we broke glow sticks at the end of the service, and so the light didn't, couldn't shine until the stick was broken, and the light of Jesus can't shine through us until we become broken vessels. And then last week we talked about being humble. We said when you humble ourselves, that means something we do to ourselves, not some outside force. We humble ourselves, that's attention. In fact, the Bible says pride, kind of the opposite of humility. Uh, God resists the proud. So when we're proud, God is kind of pushing away from us. And when we humble ourselves, it draws God to us. We cannot be passive. We've got to do it ourselves. So I came across this neat illustration. It's, it, it's been going on for a while. But it's about a community in Paraguay that lives in a landfill. The whole town is in a landfill. And they live off the landfill. Like uh, 1,500 tons of trash gets dumped in this landfill every day. And so these people survive off of that. <clears throat> Anyway, a man by the name of Fabio Chavez, uh, a music, music guy, a music teacher, young music teacher, and he wanted to bring some joy or some filament to these folks, so he started a music school and quickly got a bunch of kids. The problem was they didn't have any instruments, right? It's a poor, poor community. So he hires a guy to make instruments out of the trash. They're, they're, the rest of their survival is out of the trash, so they hire this guy. So he develops this... Uh, this orchestra, all right? And I'm just going to show you a video clip. Um, they've been on 60 Minutes and other things. They're world famous now. They actually do classical music. But here's a, a short fil film clip. Mi nombre es Adam Aribel Ríos Bogado y toco el violín. 
kids in Paraguay actually made all of the instruments out of trash. Look at this. That's a poor people. That gift of music shine through tonight on that stage. So I think it's a beautiful illustration of what we've been talking about for three weeks. They take what is thrown away, what is considered of no value, they make musical instruments, things of value, and then make something beautiful, beautiful music out of, uh, with those instruments. So, on, our, uh, on the screen, God needs to do something in us so he can do something through us. Uh, we've got to be broken, we've got to be humble, and today we're going to talk about how to be empty for him to, uh, to work through us. And I love this statement, God loves to fill what's empty. God loves to fill what's empty. There's this, this story in the Old Testament. There's this prophet by the name of Elisha. And uh, one of the other prophets uh, dies and leaves his wife and children, and they don't know what to do. They're, she's going to have to sell the kids uh, to survive. And she comes to Elijah and says, what am I going to do? And Elijah says, what do you have? And, and she says, well, I've got a flask of olive oil. And he says, okay, send your kids out and collect all the empty jars you can in the town. And so they collect all these jars. And he says, then start pouring olive oil out of your flask into these jars. And so one after another, she fills up all these jars. Eventually, she asks, is there any more? And they say, no. And the oil stops flowing. <clears throat> Fantastic story. But my question is this. What is the only thing that must be true of a jar in order for it to be filled? And the answer is what? Got to be empty, right? And some of you come here this morning empty. You really don't have any choice about it, maybe. Or maybe it's because of choices you made. Uh, maybe you're at the end of your wits financially. Maybe relationally, some other way. And you just are completely drained, empty, uh, with little hope for the future. Other folks come to church on a Sunday and they're full. They feel like they got the things together, got their life together, they're, 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 them and God are good, I hope you are, and uh, but come with basically not feeling any kind of need. So the reality is this, there's a big difference between being full and being fulfilled. Uh, first week we looked at a guy, a Pharisee named Simon. He was full of himself. He was full of his, his religion, his, his righteousness, all the good stuff he did. He was super good. He, 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 he fasted twice a week and tithed and all that kind of stuff. And then this guy, this lady, uh, prostitute comes in and she's a mess. She's a wreck. Her life is, is falling apart. And she uh, cries on Jesus' feet, wipes, washes his feet with her hair. And then she does something really interesting. She has a, uh, some perfume and she pours it all out, representing she's pouring her life out. She's empty. And Jesus fills her and says, uh, she is fulfilled and she leaves. And then last week, another Pharisee, filled himself in church, praying about, God, I thank you, I'm not like all these other poor folks around here, sinners and so forth. And then the guy that's probably the worst sinner, considered the worst sinner in town, in their society, the tax collector comes in and can't even raise his eyes to heaven 
And he just says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's empty. And what happens? God fills him, right? And he goes away justified. He goes away connected with God. And this guy that has it seems to have it all together went away empty. He was full but not fulfilled. So let me ask you a question today. Have you come empty? Or have you come full? Lots of examples in scripture. Whether it's hunger. Jesus, the scripture tells a story about uh, there was 5,000 men plus women and children that followed Jesus around all day and listened to him and they were hungry and there was no food to feed them. And so Jesus fills them physically. He fills their empty stomachs. Another time he encounters this lady at, at a well, a Samaritan. And uh, her life is kind of a mess. And uh, he says, I give you living water. And she goes away full and tells, tells the folks in town. Another time, they, they bring a lady who's caught in adultery to Jesus. And Jesus, after that encounter, says, go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. I need I condemn you. And she goes away with hope. The interesting story in John chapter 2, Jesus is at a wedding. And they run out of wine, uh, which is a bad thing to do, I guess, at a wedding. And Mary, for some reason, thinks Jesus can fix this problem. So she comes to, to Jesus and says, hey, hey, the host is out of, out of wine. What do we do? Jesus says, okay, take the empty containers that had wine in them, fill them up with water, and he turns it into wine. The wine is better than any that they'd had all along. So we're going to look at a parable. That's a story that Jesus told. It wasn't real, but it, it resembled things that people would recognize. Things that could have happened, maybe did happen. In this case, it's called the, the great banquet or the great <clears throat> feast. Now, again, Jesus, in this story, Jesus is in another, a Pharisee's house having dinner, like in the first, first story. And you know something exciting is going to happen, right? The Pharisees are out to get to Jesus and Jesus is just kind of making fools out of them. So it's going to be tense. It's going to be exciting. Something dramatic is going to happen. Now the Pharisees are not there to learn from Jesus. They're there to be critical of Jesus, right? And some people come to church not to learn or not to be filled, but to be critical of what goes on. Um, people that are full. Now banquet in, in scripture represents this. Banquets represent where God addresses the deepest needs of his people. All right, so when we talk about that, this, this, in this parable, this story, this is where God wants to meet people's deepest needs. So this is in Luke chapter 14. You can, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, you can follow along. I'm going to be reading off the screen. Jesus replied with this story. Now, let me give you a little background first. <laughs> Jesus heals a guy. A guy comes and he's sick and Jesus heals him. And this was a problem. Why? Why was it a problem? But you know? What day of the week was it? It was the Sabbath. And healing was considered work. So Jesus had just worked on the Sabbath. And so if, to a Pharisee or to a religious person, this would be horrible, right? And so Jesus then tells them this story. He said, what if one of your kids falls into a ditch on the Sabbath? You're going to pick them out? Me, and not, they don't answer, but you know what the answer is going to be, right? And then he gives us, tells a short story about if you go to somebody's house for dinner and you sit close to the host and if somebody more important comes in and says, I'm sorry, but they get to sit here and you've got to move back. He says, it's much better for you to sit in the back and then be asked to be brought forward. That goes with last week, being humble, humble ourselves, and then we'll be exalted and lifted up. So then he tells this story. 
Now, in a parable, it's inter important to know what the characters represent or who they represent. So Jesus replied with a story, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. Who is the man in the story? This is God. All right, so God sent out these invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come to the banquet, is ready. Who's the servant? Jesus, right? Another story, he sends a servant out and they kill him. So we know the servant is Jesus. <clears throat> now notice, the invitation is to what? It's not to a labor camp. <laughs> it's to what? It's to a banquet. It's to a festival. It's to a feast. It's to a celebration. And so, we're going to get the responses to the folks that are being invited to this big celebration. Now, there would have been an earlier invitation. We would have kind of like saved the date invitation today. And then when the date came around, you would be told, hey, now it's time to come. So now they're told to come. And here's the response to get. They initially said they were coming, all right? They were interested. And then what happens? They all began making excuses. And we're going to get three examples. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. So they're very polite uh, in refusing the invitation to this festival or to this party. Now this kind of represents personal gain. I bought a house, I need to work on my house, make it better, make it more comfortable. <clears throat> now, advertisers in our society play upon this. We call it a presumption of emptiness. So an advertiser will tell you, well, you're not, you don't feel full, so what you need to do is buy the, these clothes or buy this car or go on this vacation and that will, will satisfy you. Presumption of emptiness. Next slide. Presumption of emptiness. <clears throat> and so we live in a consumer-based society. So I'm going to give you a definition of consumerism. It's the idea that our success and happiness is directly related to ever-increasing consumption of goods. So if you're not happy, what do you do? You go shopping, right? You go shopping, you buy something. Nowadays, you can do most of it from home. Just go on the internet, right? And you buy something that makes you feel good. So some of us consequently deal with our emptiness by living in a constant state of consumption. It satisfies for a little while and then it doesn't. Kind of always fascinates me, especially like on Thanksgiving, we stuff ourselves. I do anyway. And I think, I'll never have to eat again. What happens a few hours later? You're hungry again. Isn't it amazing? Uh, that's the way consumerism is of anything. Anything we buy can be fulfilling, can be, be nice, it can make, make us happy for a while, but it just doesn't last, does it? So again, there's a big difference between being full and being fulfilled. I eat a meal, I'm going to be hungry a little while later. If I am being fulfilled, it lasts and lasts. This is interesting. Mother Teresa, as you probably know of her, she was a wealthy uh, person from Italy that went to Calcutta, India to work in the slums, all right? Kind of like in the landfill. Kind of the kind of the poorest people on earth. And here's what she said. The spiritual poverty of the Western world, that's us, okay? People live in the West. Is greater than the physical poverty that our people in Calcutta. They are the poorest people on earth. And she's saying, we're worse off than them. Not physically, of course, but spiritually. You in the West have millions of people who suffer such terrible loneliness and emptiness. And our stuff can't make up for that. So that was the first excuse. The next excuse is this. I bought five pairs of oxen. I want to try them out. Please excuse me. 
So this is about business. This is about work. This is about getting ahead in the world. All right? And uh, it's really interesting to me when you ask somebody today, most of the time, how are you? Who, who can guess, if you're, not in the, don't, if you're in the first service, don't answer. Who can guess what the number one response to that question is today? It wouldn't have been 20 years ago, but it is today. What's the number one response to how are you? Who wants to guess? No, that used to be. That's not the number one response now. Not okay. I don't, I don't think I've heard it yet. My hearing's not that great. Number one response today in our society, when you ask how are you, is busy. Busy. That's the number one response. How are you? Busy. Because I've got to be doing something right. I've got to be fulfilled if i am just got a full calendar, right? If I'm going from here to there, I must be somebody important. But busyness is often a hedge against emptiness. We don't stop long enough to realize how empty we are. Now, we are a consumer-based society, but there's been a shift. <laughs> and as I said, you know, buying stuff... But there's been a shift. Now, my generation, <clears throat> the average person in my generation spends three hours a day watching TV. By the time you're 65, which I am, uh, I've spent 10 years of my life watching TV. Now, maybe more, maybe less, but that's the average, okay? My kids' generation, which is a lot of you folks here, the average person in your generation spends five hours a day on their phone, their computer, uh, or uh, an iPad. And this is not work. This is leisure time. Which equals almost 20 hours of your life. I mean, 20 years of your life by the time you're 65. And there even, uh, let's see, eight, no, 80% of you and I, <laughs> uh, the first thing we do in the morning is we look at our phone. 80% of us. Now, I came across a statistic about a month ago. What, guess what I've done the last month? I haven't looked at my phone the first time, time I get up in the morning. It's usually an hour later or so. 75% um, of us take our phone with us when we go to the, to the bathroom. In fact, they've developed this new term. It's called the toilet texter. All right? And they tell me 25% of us will not go without the phone. Oh, I got to go to the bathroom. Where's my phone? I can't go until I find my phone. So we're busy. We're even busy when we're doing our business, so to speak, right? Uh, last example. It's probably my favorite in group. I just got married, so my wife won't, wife won't let me. No, I didn't quite read that right, did I? <laughs> I just got married, so I can't come. So we are filling ourselves with what I call romance. So I thought we'd have a little fun this morning. You can Google this. The most famous romantic movies. Quotes. Alright? So I'm going to put some up here and let you guess what movie they come from. First of all, it didn't do too good. Uh, uh, most of these movies are more your generation, I guess. Anyway, so we'll, we'll see how you do. Alright. When you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with someone, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Anybody recognize that? What movie? Comes from 1989. Harry met Sally. Okay? Alright, next one. You make me want to be a better man. 
Give you a hint. Jack Nicholson said it. <laughs> as good as it gets, right? Uh, next one. Now, you ladies ought to know this. I'm also just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. Notting Hill. <laughs> All right, you got that one. <laughs> All right, next. <clears throat> we'll always have Paris. This is one of my favorites because my wife and I, a year and a half ago, we're in Paris, right? This is old. Who knows what this is from? Casablanca. All right. I think more folks here knew that than the first service. And they're, they're older folks. 1940s. Uh, that movie came out. Here's my favorite. Uh, I did, this is my favorite, so I, I thought, since I'm up here, I get to pick my favorite, right? Life is not the amount of breaths you take. It's the moments that take your breath away. Hitch. You watch a lot of romantic movies, don't you? <laughs> All right. Uh, some of us have to watch romantic movies, right, guys? <laughs> but, you know, somebody is your choice. This last one, I'm not going to tell you. First, I'm going to explain the, the movie and ask you to figure out what the quote is. It's Jerry Maguire, all right? He's got this pretty good life. He's uh, uh, all these... Just, just a second. He's got uh, <laughs> uh, a pretty good business. He's in these different romantic relationships. They don't all work out. And finally, you know, his business, he's starting a new business, but he, he comes up to, uh, what's her name? Renee Zellwinger. And he has this three-word line that he says to her. Now, what is it? You complete me. Now, we've got to say it with a little more enthusiasm than that. Like it's three sentences, okay? You ready? You complete me, right? Now, all of those folks that are married, what do you and I know? Where's the money? <laughs> Where's the money? <laughs> My wife loves movies like this because that's where it ends, right? Happily ever after. What do us married folks know? It, she didn't complete him, did she? Because we don't complete each other. Do we? And unfortunately, some folks think they're going to be completed that way, and they're not. And what do they do? They go find another person, hoping that person will complete them, etc., etc. So all these folks responded basically this way. Thanks, but no thanks. My cup is full. My cup is full of stuff, entertainment, information. It's full of romance. It's full of work. It's full of something. So what happens after that? They made, all made their polite excuses. And so the parable ends this way. Servant returned to tell his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys and towns and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Lumping all those people together would be people that are what? That are broken, that are empty, physically or uh, emotionally or, or financially. After the servant had done this report, there's still room for more because there's always room, Right? So the master said what? Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. The house will be full with people that need to be filled with Jesus. So in other words, at first inviting it even the smallest taste of my banquet. One, use one other metaphor and then we'll, we'll finish up. This is Paul writing in Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and he uses this metaphor. He says, don't be drunk with wine or don't be full up, filled up with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So you have a, an option. 
always frustrates me on TV, you know, when things are tough and people are stressed, what do they do? What's the first thing they do? You get the bottle, right? Or after work and they want to relax, what do they do? They go to the neighbor bar, all right? The problem with getting drunk, alcohol's okay, drunk's not okay, it's a sin. The problem with any sin is it offers a kick, right? We wouldn't do it if there wasn't a kick to it. But the problem is there's always the kickback is worse. <clears throat> this term, uh, this verb, fill. Tim, you'll know this. I don't know if anybody else knows Greek. Uh, I don't like to use Greek a lot, but this is pretty fascinating to me. Greek has all these tenses of verbs, all right? We have past, present, and future, a couple other tenses in English, but they get all kinds of tenses. So this, this word filled here is, is the present passive imperative, okay? All right, so let me tell you what that means. Imperative means it's a command. So this is an option. I'll do this if you, if you want to. This, if you're Jesus follower, this is a command. If you're not or delighted that you're here, you don't have to pay any attention to this. But if you're Jesus follower, this is a command. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, present means it's now. So I kind of argue a little bit with the people that think there's a time, a time when you get filled by the Spirit of God. And it's sometime in the past or in the future maybe. This is present, meaning I get filled, I'm supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit now. Supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit now. Supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit now. It's ongoing, present, 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 present. <clears throat> and then it's passive, which is the opposite of active, right? So it means I don't fill me. I am filled from the outside. I am at the receiving end of that. Does that make sense? Present, you can impress some people, tell, hey, I know that verb's in the present passive imperative tense. <laughs> okay? So how do we do that? And we'll end with this. How do you do that? Let me give you a suggestion. And so a short prayer you and I can say, God, empty me of me so I can be filled with you. Empty me of my selfishness. Empty me of my pride. Empty me of my uh, self-righteousness, thinking I'm better than other people. Empty me of me. And here's the thing. It's not so much of the Holy Spirit that I have as how much of the Holy Spirit has of me. So the only people God sent away empty are the people full of themselves. And again, God loves to fill what's, some, what's empty. And to fill it with something better. And to fill it with something more fulfilling. And something more valued. So would you come as we have a closing song? Say, God, I'm empty. Fill me. Let's pray another song. Let you go. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus, that you did what you did for us. But you don't force yourself on us. And you certainly can't come into something that's full. And so this morning I pray, I hope it's a prayer, wish it's the prayer of all the folks here, that we come empty. That we do empty ourselves of us. We realize that it isn't our goodness that brings us to you. That we have to come broken, humbled, and empty. God, we thank you that you do the filling. You fill us now. You fill us an hour from now. You fill us a day, a week from now. Again, only if we come empty. We pray for anyone that's, that never received the Holy Spirit. We just pray that today would be the day we'd step across the line and say, yes, I understand. I realize that I've been looking, trying to be full, but I'm not fulfilled. 
can't be filled, fulfilled without Jesus. So we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.